Welcome to Punch Card Investing, a weekly show dedicated to all things value investing. Whether it be analyzing companies, pitching ideas, or discussing moves by the best investors in the world, we're trying to get one step closer to punching an investment off of our cards. Let's get started. Thank you, intro man. As reliable as ever. We haven't been as reliable, and I apologize for that, everyone, that had to be juggling around the schedule. We got everyone traveling at the same time, so it's been tough to get a group together, but... Got our man Patrick here with part time and the part time investing YouTube channel. Welcome. And I realize I have the intro loop going. My mistake. (laughs) It's see, I'm rusty. It's been too long. Um, But got Patrick here with part the part time investing YouTube channel. Uh, And Patrick was the one who I spent the most time with at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting weekend. Uh, We spent pretty much all Saturday together and had a good time. So. Um, we'll be talking about more about your approach, Patrick. I know you're a big, uh, micro cap guy uh, for, for the most part. So, or at least, um, uh, tend to fall, tend to fall in that direction. Um, so we can talk about kind of that approach and, um, all, all your other philosophies on investing or whatever you're comfortable sharing, I suppose. Um, and if definitely go take a look at Patrick's channel. If, uh, when you get the chance after the show is done, of course, we are on a new time today. So for anyone tuning in live, welcome. I'm not sure if we've seen you before because we usually do Friday nights US time, but it's Saturday here in the US today. And we're going to be trying some new times uh, as we kind of work through some things and uh, kind of see what works and, and uh, see if we can try to get some more content out as well. Uh, we plan on having some more kind of midweek episodes, pre-recorded shows as well coming out in the near future. So stay tuned for that. And uh, to that, be sure to subscribe so you miss any of that uh, as it all comes out. Um, and check out all the other good stuff in the description below. I forgot to mention that. I shouldn't do that either. Uh, smash the like button, and I think we're good to go. You tell me, Patrick. How you doing? I'm doing good. Whenever you uh, asked me to be an alternate, I didn't think I'd be like the only one, but yeah, worked out. <laughs> yes, I know. Um, well, I was expecting at least one more today, but you know, it, it, it's, life throws whatever it throws at you, and uh, um, I thought it'd still be good to. Yeah, have a conversation about all sorts of things because I know you've got um, uh, you've you've been in this investing game for some time now, and uh, I, I, I like the way you look at some things. So I thought it'd be it'd be fun to just to talk about investing generally. And um, I guess so, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, where you're from? What are you doing? And all that good stuff. Yeah, so I'm Patrick. I run the part time investing channel. Uh, it's just me. It's been kind of spotty recently. I think real life's just gotten busy, but I guess it's just a value investing channel where we focus on uh, following or I guess doing valuations on individual companies like over and over. I think that's the best way to practice that sort of thing. It's kind of like what um, if you listen to Warren Buffett, he said that's what Ben Graham's class was, was, was just taking individual companies, doing valuations and going through every scenario and stuff. So I just try to do that. And um, it's, it's worked out pretty good for, for me as far as just like helping me understand investing more. And I think um, other people have enjoyed it too. The people who subscribe seem to like it. So, yeah, I, I like the way you present the stuff there. Um, uh, the way you kind of set it up uh, on screen is, is really nice. Um, you got valuation metrics, kind of your calculations you're going through. And um, then you obviously talk about the thesis in general, but, yeah, it's 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 a nice format, so it's good to see it doing well. Um, yeah, and and yeah. is that I assume that's just kind of a side <clears throat> hobby thing. 
Uh, yeah, it was mainly a hobby. Well, I can't say the word hobby for, for tax purposes, right? <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> it's, it's the channel is an LLC. Yeah. So it's, uh, but yeah. Same here. It's a part-time. It's a part-time thing, right? Part-time investing, right? (laughs) Yeah, the the idea, and I think I got it from Peter Lynch and a lot of Warren Buffett and stuff. Is that I think there are advantages that individual investors have uh, over like Wall Street. I think highlighting those and shows that you can actually probably do better investing part-time than if you spent every day doing it or every second like a day trader or something. You know. Yeah, having some real life perspective, <laughs> paying attention to things around you yeah, makes sense. Um, and to that, um, I know you're a chemical engineer uh, as your career. Do you find yourself looking at a lot of those stocks first um, because of that, or not? So yes. Much? Now I will say those are the ones that I've done the worst on. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that you, it's almost like. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's I, I I do spend most of my time in that area, but I would say what I've done good on is in general just industrial stocks. Um, whenever it gets to the individual like chemical companies, that's where I haven't done as good. But just overall, um, U.S. industrials is where I focus a lot of my time. So yeah, um, I would say almost all all of my time. So that's and it's worked out really well. So yeah, yeah. Have I think said- staying in your field is is good because you kind of get insights into. You may see things before, you know, I guess Wall Street in a way, you know, if you're right. on the ground level. Yeah. Do you find yourself looking at um, a lot of smaller companies because of that? Or do they tend to range in all sizes? Now we're supposed to talk about micro caps. That's the. Uh, the yeah, I mean, mo- so my biggest hit was a micro cap. And I'd say, I, st- mm-hmm. I mean, I have, I have a couple have one that started as a micro cap, but technically isn't now, which is good because it helps. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they might still be, but that's, that's kind of that goal, right? I think that a lot of them, and we're going to talk about it, but I think micro caps are for a lot of them. Um, they're often overlooked compared to the other stocks, you know? So. I guess ha- we should probably define micro cap first. Uh, is there, I forget if there's so the a, official is yeah, what's the official definition for is 50, 50 to 300 million under 50 okay. is a nano cap. And that has been nano. I actually have invested in, in a nano cap company. I'm not going to say it here. Cause I don't want to like, it was like a $7 million market <laughs> cap and pump the stock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to do it, but it was an experience like talk about very illiquid. Like I would, um, you'd have to set a limit order and it might not fill for like a week or two. And, <laughs> um, it was just a, it was like a classic, like balance sheet buy, but then they just started losing money every quarter. And I was like, man, it's still like one, one eighth of like, you know, tangible e- equity. And I remember that quote from Charlie Munger where he was, He's talking about like why Warren Buffett changed. And he said something like, you know, it's, it sucks whenever you own a company and you're sitting around waiting for them to liquidate or you're, and you're hoping they liquidate before they lose all the money every year, you know, and yeah. that's kind of how I felt. So then I tried to exit. And then that was just, and then that's like I said, if, if the limit <laughs> orders were a pain on the way up, they were, they were worse on the way down. I mean, <laughs> right. it was, it was so, it was so uh, crazy that whenever I was buying it, it was literally like raising the stock price, like 20, 30% on the ticker. <laughs> like I'd be the only trade for that day. Like that sort of thing. Uh, so it was that, a fun experience, but yeah, that was that a seems, nano cap. That seems weird. Like why they would even trade publicly. Cause that, that, that's a, there's a big like regulatory burden there. Um, well, they were, they were unlisted. So they, they had made mm. the decision to delist because they didn't think that they were getting 
um, the support from the public markets that they wanted. So it was a, it was like a pink sheet thing, which is, uh, and they had like, I had to email somebody for the 10 K and stuff like that. I made, I made a decent profit on it, but nothing like I wanted to, you know, so, <laughs> for all the trouble. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like 20%. Yeah. It's not that's like pretty wild. Yeah. Um, was that like a local <clears throat> company? How did you even find it? Um, I found it by basically going through a certain sector and sorting by just literally going like, like Warren Buffett says, a, you know, look, look at all the stocks in alphabetical <laughs> order and go down. And, uh, and I found that one and just started kind of looking into it more. And so my problem is that I see something and I think everything's like the best idea ever at first. So, yeah, I, I think that's hard. That's something I that. struggle to shake too especially in looking at small businesses now, um, yeah. nano, nano caps, <laughs> yeah. a couple hundred thousand. I know we've, yeah. we've looked at some stuff together too. Haven't, haven't pulled the trigger yet, but um, you know, when you're dealing in that world, it's easy to get caught up in kind of the, the sticker price numbers uh, or the, or the, uh, the brochure and all that. It's, it's very easy to get caught up. You see a lot in real estate as well, um, where they advertise a certain, cap rate or whatever. And then you actually do the real numbers like, Oh, this, this deal's awful. Um, um, but until you get in the weeds, which yeah. takes time, you, that excitement can kind of get, get you in a place where it's a little tough to get out. Um, if you don't pump the brakes a bit. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I definitely, that's one of my number one challenges is looking yeah. away from things and trying to consolidate into the, what really are the solid ideas. It's hard to know when you don't know what you don't know. It's, it's tough. Um, yeah, Char- uh, Warren said Charlie was, he called him the abominable no man because he did everything, <laughs> yeah. every idea Warren said, Charlie's first response was no, no, yeah. no. And I feel like you need somebody like that <laughs> yeah. to say like, this is the worst idea I've ever heard. And then, you know, at least get you off of that initial optimism. So. I'm, I mean, I deal with that. I think or the, the, it's the biggest challenge for me right now with that sort of phenomenon is uh, employees. Uh I tend to be very optimistic that things will turn around or whatever, but yeah. you know, uh, once a habit is set, it's very hard to break it in either direction. Really. Um, it's, it's hard to change people. And I tend to think like, Oh, you know, if you just do the X, Y, Z, they'll be good. But you know, if, or if motivation's off, if mm-hmm. uh, they just don't want to change their habits for whatever reason, um, if they got something else lined up, it's, it's very hard to break that. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to shake that right now is, not being overly optimistic. If I, if I, if something smells off, just got to back away. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of people out there. Um, yeah. and yeah, it's just, it's tough. Uh, applies well beyond just, just, uh, stocks, but within companies as well. Um, trying, mm-hmm. trying to say no to lots of things, tons of opportunity out there. Yeah. The good thing with stocks is that if you made a mistake, you can just get out of it versus like, well, when it's not employee a stuff. Account. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's but what yeah. I love about investing is like mistakes are they're very easily reversible, you know. Mm-hmm. So you can most of the time. If the mistake's not the too big. Yeah. <laughs> Usually if there's not leverage involved, then it's easy. Well, yeah, yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, when you lever it up, it can get a little tricky. Um mm-hmm. I, I, speaking of debt, do you um do you do you need like real estate or is it, is it just kind of all stocks for your portfolio? No, hundred percent stocks. Yeah, except my house. Yeah, so mm-hmm. yeah, and individual stocks. I think I think that just offers the best return. Like if you look at 
I mean, even if you see something selling at, let's say, you know, five times earnings, that's what like a 15 ish percent internal rate of return or something like that. And you're sure might not get that. And that's assuming it just stays at, at that, you know, same earnings. If it's growing that it's even more, uh, you know, appetizing and, and it's, especially how the market is right now, you know, everything's down. I just feel like in, in the stock market, I feel like there's deals out there for um, getting much more in your money than like, I don't know, whatever, 7% or 10% on real estate. Now, if you, if you count, if you leverage in real, yeah. real estate and you get the depreciation now, like your cash on cash might look better, but I'm not, I'm not a big debt person. I think I was, I was actually raised like a, like a Dave Ramsey baby kind of, you know, and it was, <laughs> and I've kind of gotten past that, but I still hold on to some of those, you know, hatred and debt type things. You know? So I think that's something <laughs> I do have in common with like Warren and Charlie, I would say is the, is I never like that always spooked me to go into debt with uh, stuff like that. So yeah. Um, maybe I'm not taking enough risk, but no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. Uh, <clears throat> is it, it, it doesn't, like if you can add debt to any equation and like, it'll, it'll make your upside higher usually um, as long as you're uh, as long as you're getting an okay deal on the thing and the interest rate isn't higher than your, your yield, <laughs> um, which we're seeing a lot in real estate right now. But, um, but then you're playing a different game. You're, you're, you're now playing a debt yeah. game. You're, you're just introducing another factor into the equation and, and it's mm-hmm. straight up. Like you add more debt, you're adding more risk. You're adding more potential return. Um, and it's the opposite on the way down. So it's just a comfort thing, really. If you're not comfortable with it, you're probably going to end up making more mistakes. Um, and if you're too comfortable with it, <laughs> then the the debt itself might be the mistake. So um, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I really don't think there's a total, total right answer because it'll make debt makes the whole situation more emotional. And depending on what you got at stake, that could be a lot of emotions. <laughs> and uh, and even if you don't have a lot of it at stake, you just don't want to bother. Like that's fine. If that makes you more effective in the first place, you don't have to worry about this thing, then that's mm-hmm. all the better. Um, I'm trying to deleverage a bit as we move forward um, or at least, you know, get better terms and, and kind of uh, really focus on using debt only in, in, in the kind of a great deal situation where um, mm-hmm. if you, like in the business sense, if you can get like great seller financing at great terms over with limited interest, like that can make a lot of sense. But um, especially now with interest rates climbing, it's tougher to use kind of more conventional means uh, of debt and, and still have it work. But, you know, it, it's, I think just trying to use it opportunistically is probably what makes the most sense. But yeah. Uh, well, that's, that, yeah. Well, I was going to kind of go off of that and tie into the micro caps a little bit. Mm-hmm. So like um, one of the things I think that's super important with, with micro caps is that, like if you're looking at a big macro cap company or something, they're not going to go bankrupt or, or, I mean, I guess they could, but like somebody like Google or you or um, Microsoft or Apple, like mm-hmm. you're not, they're not going to, they won't go to zero. You know, I feel like your, your risk is probably just being, having a stagnant investment for, you know, five years or something like that while the, sure. but whenever you're looking at the small cap stocks, I feel like, the traditional value metrics are super important. So like um, debt is one for for sure. Like um, Mm -hmm. especially 
I think from 08 until now, a lot of companies got by um, with with a lot of debt because every time it came due, they were just able to refinance it, you know, and it was still interest rates. Where now, right. yeah, now interest rates for for junk bonds and stuff, or you know, they're they're going from like they were at like five percent, six percent, and now you're looking at like thirteen, fourteen if they want to refinance it. So it's um right. I that's something that I'm very scared of um, whenever I'm looking at, at uh, small cap stocks for sure. I think yeah. it, can, uh, it skews all the historical data data too. It's like that environment, especially for a, a smaller <clears throat> st- stock might've been just so wildly different, you know, for looking at like 20, 2012 numbers. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, wow. They've grown exponentially up until today. Uh, well, yeah, because they're in a decreasing rate environment that entire time. Yep. Um, so it's, it's going to be pretty misleading, uh, mm-hmm. if there's a lot of debt involved. So yeah, I, I hear you there. Um, and does it, does it change the equation that much? I guess, um, for you, whether it's a rising or falling rate environment, let's say rates got up to I know, I, 15%. Would you then be like, well, you know, they have high debt now, but if, if I expect rates to go down or do you not even like factor that in at all? No, I don't fact. No, I'm, I'm. I, I was well. Okay, let me say this. I look at um, interest rate as a percentage of operating income. I feel like that's really yeah, okay, um, good to look at. Sort of like and, a debt service co- coverage ratio, sort of thing. Yeah, like like you know, or do they have enough operating income to easily meet their interest payment yeah. every year? You know, and that's um, that's do I have that book here? Yeah, okay, it's up there. But quality of earnings. Um, mm-hmm is one of like the most underrated investment books, I think. And it's like, it's, uh, I think it's by something, somebody last name Thornton, but he, he basically like shows you how to look into, you know, company 10 Qs and stuff like that to look for fishy stuff in accounting. And um, I feel like debt is a big one. And that's, he, yeah. he preached that ratio, that interest, interest rate. Uh, I mean, interest payment divided by operating income. And I think I go over it a lot on my channel. Um, I feel like there's two ways to look at debt. You can look at it like that, or you can look at, look at it from a um, like overall perspective, like the debt to equity ratio. Yeah. And, the balance. Yeah. I mean, I balance for both payments. of those. Kind of... I'd rather both of those be low, you know? That's oh just yeah, of low. course. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, and I, I just don't buy the whole good debt thing, especially for companies and stuff, you know, maybe for uh, individuals, it, but it really depends. Yeah. I, it's a terms yeah. thing, you know, if the kind of what you're getting at, if the balance is really high, but the term is 100 years, you know, mm-hmm. they can meet the payments easily. It's not as big of a deal as if it was, you know, a smaller balance, but over one year with variable rate interest, you're, you know, you got all these extra risk factors and um, the, the terms matter is really all I'm getting at. I think the quality of earnings book, I want to say I saw that it was like required reading for anyone who joins Bill Ackman's uh, team um, that's on his list. It's on a bunch of people's lists, but I think that's where I last saw it. Um, I, I haven't read that one yet, but it's, it's, it's really a, good. Um, it's on my list. So um, I have like a full outline to do a video on it, but mm. just never got around to it. But I have yeah. the outline. <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got many outlines too. <laughs> never got to it. Um, so, I guess what 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 else were you thinking about 
uh, small caps because I have shoot I have a ton of notes on what I think the big differences are between small caps and macro caps. You know? Well, well, if you, if you got the notes right there, what do you got? So, um, I think another thing to be suspicious of is that like a small cap that's been a small cap for thirty years. Mm-hmm. You know, if you so so let's say that just like let's not including buybacks or anything like that. You know, even if you were growing at like a 7% rate, you know, for, let's see, for, I said 30 years, right? So that's, that's like seven and a half times in 30 years. So if you were like at a hundred million, $200 million market cap 30 years ago, and now you're only at like three, 400 million or something to me, that's suspicious. And I see a lot of small caps like that, you know, mm-hmm. unless there's a change in management or, um, the macros changed, which that's hard to predict, but sure. that's another thing I think to look out for. But what it really leaves you with, though, thinking like that, and there are some old companies that are kind of getting a new new wind, you know, but there's also a lot of old companies that think they're getting a new wind and they're actually just mm-hmm. going to tread water for the next 20 years again. But um, <clears throat> it really leaves you, think, you with like... What oh, do you think would cause something like that just... Um, management incentives not being aligned or just a uh, bad business in general, you know? Uh, I think that that's, I think that that's the um, most likely outcome, you know, is just stag like complacency and stagnation. Mm-hmm. I feel like the, the growers are the uh, abnormal, like those are out of the norm, you know? Yeah. Somebody, and so I think, I think businesses tend to deteriorate. So just maintaining it is, strong in itself, but it's not, I mean, if you're an investor, that's you want to look for stuff that's, that's growing. Yeah. But it leaves you with, with like young companies in a way, you know, for like, um, for micro cap stocks. And I think the pro- or micro and small cap stocks, I think the problem is there is that now you have like the hype train sometimes that you run into if it's like a fresh company, you know? And, yeah. And, um, that's certainly what we've seen recently in the last, yeah, you have to I like, recently last call it 10 years. Um, yeah. yeah, but it, so I think that that's interesting. Um, cause now you're talking about, you know, you're looking at a growth company instead of a, you know, a, if it's small, you know, because that's why I feel like in general with small cap stocks, you're compared to macro, right? Your chance for a 10 bagger is almost zero with somebody like Apple in five years, right? They're not going to sure. go to, to what, what are they like almost three trillion now i think it's three trillion yeah yeah so i mean that would be i think the gdp of france is like three trillion or something like that so they'd be i don't know it's um yeah Uh, they're not going to go up 10x you know quick quick pet peeve i don't like the the net it's a market cap which is really kind of like a net worth number compared to gdp which is like a production number never like okay okay okay. that's fine fine. but (laughs) i guess what i'm saying is that like these companies aren't going to they don't have the capability barring buybacks and stuff like that. Yeah, right. You, right. The stock price might go up. It's probably going to go up more than, I mean, it's definitely going to go up more than the market cap in like somebody like Apple's case. Mm-hmm. But I think that your chance of getting a, a hundred bagger, let's just say a 10 bagger in the next three, four years is um, much higher if you focus on the smaller caps. Mm-hmm. Now I think that there's a lot more that are going to be duds. Um, yeah. in general. And I think that that's kind of like 
Um, and I've heard Monish Pabrad talk about this where like in capitalism uh, and just in the universe in general, kind of like the, the rich get richer, right? So the big companies are, they're big for a reason, mm-hmm. you know, they're, uh, they, they have the tools to succeed, to grow and stuff like that. And then they're going to continue to do that. And like I said before, the small caps, the small cap for a reason, usually, you know, yeah. so there's, it's much more of a needle in a haystack, uh, I guess, exercise for small I caps. So. I feel like large yeah. caps, much safer. Um, in yeah, quotes. I, yeah. <laughs> safer in quotes. Um, yeah. No, that makes sense because yeah, business is difficult and, you're, when you're looking at mega caps, you're already kind of looking at winners. I mean, no one really ends up winning because the game never ends. But mm-hmm. um, it's very easy to see those because they're so big. They're top of the index. The top of the index. Yeah. Um, they're selling the most products. They're in the most people's homes usually. So um, it can be easy yeah. to be sort of distracted by them. Not that yeah. they're bad by any means, but it's a different. Like you're saying, you're not going to get the the fifteen bagger. Uh, at least the chances are very slim without a lot of monetary policy. <laughs> to yeah, get or, or a ton yeah. of buybacks. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. right. Um, or some sort of massive, just like unexpected uh, uh, tailwind. Mm-hmm. Um, I, well, then how, how do you how do you sort? Uh, how do you sort from all the rest? Or are there any big red flags? You kind of mentioned the debt mm-hmm. situation. You, you mentioned. <laughs> the stagnant company that's been stagnant for 30 years uh, any of the red flags you kind of look for, especially with microcaps. Yes. Okay. And then I'm, I want to address a comment too. And uh, have at it. Yeah. So definitions, nano cap is going to be under 50 million. Yeah. Micro 50 to 300 million, small cap 300 to 2 billion. And um, I guess mid is two to 10 and large is technically above 10 billion. And then I think they, you're, you're fang or it's not fang anymore, but like macro cap stocks are over a trillion or something. Yeah. Like that. That's crazy. That's, um, there's more than one of those now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, cool. So, okay. So red flags. And I would say that this is what my entire channel is about is literally looking at, every single company or, or like looking at companies and just doing a deep dive and looking for any red flag possible. And there's a, I have a video where I talk about a checklist and that's on yeah. there, but um, I feel like management is very important in small caps. And uh, I think in general, having insider ownership uh, is you're much more likely to have insiders as a significant holder in a small cap company. Right. You know, like, uh, and I'm talking like 20, 30% sometimes. Or even majority. Um, and, yeah. And, and the other issue though, is that things like compensation uh, of executives are much or a much higher percentage of the earnings, you know, compared to big companies. Cause if you have a company making billions of dollars a quarter, you know, compared to one making, you know, $10 million a quarter, what, what the C-suite makes is going to be, a much bigger right. chunk. Right. And, um, so I think you really have to look at the stock-based compensation and stuff like, or not just compensation in general, but I see the comment about stock-based compensation too. Um, yeah. But just executive comp in general. Yeah. And I, I think one thing um, <clears throat> and we talked about debt, I think in general, looking at, I don't know, I, I, I judge companies a lot by the, just the 
I would say the earnings calls, but some companies I, I invest in don't even have earnings calls because they're so small. But um, I guess you want to see management that sets a goal and then they make progress towards that and you can actually see it, you know, and you can go back a couple earnings calls before a couple, sometimes it's PowerPoints before and see, okay, this is what they said they were going to do two years ago. Right. They're actually moving towards that. Um, that's one. And then I would just say from a PE rate, I mean, obviously from a cheap thing, you know, you look for something selling in the single digit PE with double right. digit growth. That's like with, you know, I think that's a good kind of starting point. So yeah, I have, a, I have a makes sense. That too. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> saw this, uh, this comment from Hoda Prime. I saw one uh, company where a wife and a husband ran the company at $1 million in salary each, and they leased a property to the company for another million. So probably, yeah. probably be a bit more common or maybe not more or less common, but more impactful which is what you're getting at yeah. than if it was at a mega, mega cap or something. Um, yes, no, exactly. Yeah. Cause that company's yeah. probably making 2 million, you know, or something like that. Yeah. And people are asking for your channel, Patrick, but it's part-time investing uh, on, yeah. on YouTube. Uh, but please don't go and check it out until after this show. Yeah. Yeah. Don't <laughs> you got Patrick himself here right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I'm, I'm never live. So yeah, this is, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. I, my, my videos involve a ton of editing. So yeah. They're well done. They're well done. Like, like I was saying earlier, um, it's, it's a good a product territory for me. Yeah. Bill uh, O'Reilly doing it live, man. <laughs> Do it live. Um, so, okay. So we, we talked about exe- executive comp or just compensation in general expenses, yeah. I guess. Uh, and any other uh, like, Oh, I'll, I'll tell you a huge one. Okay. Here's sure. a big one. Um, cap, like what, what do you call it? You, um, not just high CapEx, but cap like CapEx that's very essential to, to just stay afloat. You know, like you, you want a company that's uh, doesn't require a lot of ongoing maintenance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Forced CapEx, I should say, you know, yeah, and, and you know, the way to look at that is free cash flow. But now if you look at free cash flow, now you got to factor in stock by stock based compensation and stuff like that. So it's mm-hmm. it gets tricky. I would say it's. I mean, small caps are just you, the the traditional value, the traditional ways to value a stock are just much more uh, important on, on that side. You, you, you know, like there's less room for error, you know. Yeah, um, is it, it's not as easy just like, to raise no, a bunch of money. Another one. I, and this is less a red flag, but more just something that you have to overcome. Like your chance of cloning on micro cap, small caps is like almost zero. Like nobody, no big investor is going to have a position that makes you feel better that, okay, at least I got the same thing as him, you know, like, like Micron, let's say you can look at Lilu and, and Monish and stuff like that. And, and, um, make, and you, you could literally just buy stuff because they buy it and you'd be okay. But you, you're, you're not going to see, you're not going to get that, uh, I'll call it confirmation bias. So it might be a good thing, but you won't get that from uh, just buying some uh, mi- micro cap stocks. And sure. Yeah. And if sense. you do go try to read message boards or something about a small cap stock you own, and you just, you're better off not doing it. It's, it's like, <laughs> they all think it's going to go up a hundred times or something like that. And the the rose colored glasses are especially, especially rosy yeah. and yeah, micro cap land. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's, it's probably just because 
at least with the with the mega cap companies, like you're going to have you're going to have analysts on both sides of things. You, you have a lot of attention, so you have a lot more people looking for flaws. Whereas you mm-hmm. know, all of a sudden, you get some dude who invests in a micro cap and now wants to make it known to the world. Uh, like he doesn't have much to counteract him, which I, mm-hmm. I get what you're saying, but. Um, it makes sense that would be a problem, especially there, just because there's not a lot of people looking at it. Um, mm-hmm. What about uh, what uh, what are some like maybe common value traps that you might run into? We we kind of mentioned vaguely. Oh, I've that, done them all, so yeah, I can talk yeah, about the, sta- them. the stagnant company. But um, is there like a specific trait of management that you look for, or or something like that that would continue that stagnation, or? You know, something like Wait, that. Wait, so you're talking about value traps or management traits? Though? Well, it's, it's kind of both, right? Because, you know, management could be what's causing it to be a value trap, you know. Um, or how, however you want to answer that question, I guess. <laughs> They're both relevant. Okay, so management, I think, can only be judged by results. I, I You can't listen to the story in general. Like, because there are yeah. all the CEOs and stuff. They're charismatic. They're we're good at that. They're, they're going to they're great at making excuses, making you feel great about the stuff. You have to go back. What did they say was going to happen? Then, you know, fast forward, what actually happened, you know, how close are those two things, you know, and that's, I feel like that's, you have to judge results based and, Oh, I'll tell you one too. Huge uh, red red flag is if they tout EBITDA. Okay. (laughs) And I can, I can, I can give you the, the Charlie Munger, answer but you told me i can't curse but he yeah. has a, he has his opinion about uh, adjusted EBITDA. EBITDA. Adjusted, yeah. adjusted and EBITDA. now and now you have things like adjusted ebitda which is you know adjusted <laughs> bs is according you know so it's it's crazy um to think that i mean we talked about debt already but to think that okay this is my earnings but i'm not going to count any any of my of my interest or debt and then i'm also not going to count any of my depreciation you know and so that's which, okay, maybe you could not count depreciation if you also, but if you instead subtract out CapEx, but still. Sure. Now you got to be worried about deferred capital and stuff like that because. Right, right. Especially if it's are, a capital intensive business. Yes. And there right. are very few companies that spend more on, um, or that spend less on CapEx than they actually depreciate. Did I say that right? Yeah, like most, even yeah. though they don't want to admit it, most most companies have to spend more on capex and they're depreciating. You know, um, so right. everybody thinks depreciation is a paper uh, loss, and Sometimes. in something like real estate, it is right. Where right, your, exactly. Where your property is actually appreciating, but you're getting a write off. You know, one twenty seventh of it every year. It's it's awesome. Right, but, but you still have capex there, and real estate's very capital intensive too. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's, so that's. That's one red flag value trap. I feel like the the uh, tale as old as time value trap is misjudging or misjudging recent earnings, and that's what I've gotten hit by the worst. I think is thinking that recent upticks, let's say, are going to continue are, are are the norm. You know, yeah, I, I've been burned by that too. Um, and. I think, well, I'll give you, and I can tell you, I'll use Smith and Wesson as an example, because I was big on, I have a few videos on them and um, I'll tell you the exact earnings call quote that made me like sell it like after hours. And this is, this is a true story. As much as I love the uh, company, we 
I'm sitting there listening to the earnings call and this is, and they had announced after earnings and they were talking about um, their, what were they saying? They kept on talking about, well, yeah, but we're still projecting cash flow of this cash flow of this. And I'm thinking sitting there because they had reported a negative earnings or something very small. And I was like, this is weird. They were, they were doing so good. Ruger had done good. All the other, you know, was that, was that a couple of years ago or a year ago? It was, it was, it was like, I don't know. I recall they were, they, were, ago. They, were de- they were very positive. Then all of a sudden it was like, a yeah, little yeah. So I remember that. And, and I had my metrics that I would track, like, um, like the, the adjusted NICS number that the FBI posts every month. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, as long as I watch this, I'm good because this is total gun sales and they're and we're, okay. So anyway, all that leading up and they had this crappy quarter and which, you know, I'm not going to judge somebody on a quarter. Right. But they kept on saying, well, full year, our free, I mean, our cash flow is expected to be this, our cash flow is expected to be that. And it was, it was a pretty good number. And I was like, okay, I'm fine holding it with that projected cash flow. It's nothing, nothing uh, big. And after the call, one of these bankers asked, Hey, whenever y'all said cash flow, um, I just want to make sure that, that y'all mean free cash flow. And the VP, this lady was like, Oh no, no, that was just operating cash flow. Like we're actually projecting negative free cash flow. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I was like, and so anyway, from that, that to me was like dishonesty or maybe it was, there was a bunch of stuff. It's a half truth. With Smith and Wesson. Yeah. I think half truth. There was a huge boom during all the riots and stuff. And then there was a, um, it had really come down and it was selling it pulled like forward a lot earnings. of it pulled forward a massive amount of demand. I mean, you saw that with a lot yeah. of industries in the in and, 2020, 2021, 2020, yeah, and, 2021. But, yeah. but I would say with, with, with somebody like Smith and Wesson, like that's also the benefit of buying a company with a very good balance sheet though, is because even whenever earnings went down, mm-hmm. the stock didn't, I mean, the stock, I think it, it didn't go to zero, you know, I think. No. It went, so that's speaking of downside protection. I think it's very important to to keep that in mind whenever you're looking at um at uh you know small just any stock, but especially small caps because yeah you know there's a big difference between losing twenty five percent of your investment and losing a hundred percent. Yep. And uh, so that's that's kind of that's all I okay. that's all I can think so, of for red so, flags right now. So that's the. I like the way you framed that with the big red flag is the it's overemphasis or not red flag, but the, uh, the value trap is overemphasizing recent earnings for whatever, and really in either direction, I guess. But um, yeah, yeah that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and when you factor in all the other things, when you're evaluating management, like their historical performance, are they doing what they say they're doing um, and all that good stuff? It makes a lot of sense when you put it all together. Um I got some questions here from Tony. They're asking uh, how, how much you concentrate your portfolio, uh, if, if you're willing to share. Um, maybe how you balance that. I it's think be different for a lot person, before but... I uh, before I buy. Yeah, concentrate. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> the uh, so I feel like there's multiple ways to. I was thinking about this earlier. So I, I mean, I usually put. I'm comfortable going very high. Uh, cause I don't have debt. Right. So, and, mm-hmm. uh, if you don't, if you don't need the money and if you feel like you're saving enough that like, let's say that you're saving enough a year to where you're going to increase your portfolio by 
10% a year just from savings or something like that, you know, right. Then I feel like putting way more than that is, is okay. I, I mean, um, I've had something as I've had something over 50% of my portfolio and it actually, maybe it was a curse, but it did really well. So now I'm kind of tempted to do that again, but mm-hmm. I haven't done it yet. You know, I, sure. think, uh, uh, I think right now my biggest is uh, probably, probably 25%. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. That's definitely yeah. concentrated. Um, and I think only have but like it, six. It, so, but it, it's a sliding scale, obviously. As the portfolio grows, you have more to protect, so you probably <clears throat> you probably opt towards more diversification. Um, yeah. But when you're, you know, if you're smaller, um, its concentration seems like it would make some more sense because it's actually going to move the needle more, uh, or you know. Yeah, I, I I think the more diversified you get, the more you have a reversion to the mean. Right. Know? So I, right. I I think, and I also think that it's. Um, very hard to keep up with 20 companies. Well, uh, that too. Yeah. When you're picking at least at the, yeah, you run yeah, into yeah. that too. Um, but yeah, I, uh, and, and plus when you get really big, you have the universe of opportunities problem that, you know, Berkshire and those folks have to worry about because, uh, they've got so many billions to move investing in a great $500 million opportunity doesn't do anything for them. So they don't do mm-hmm. it. Um, so back to kind of what you were saying earlier, you have the advantage as an individual investor. One of those is opportunity size. That $7 million nano cap actually can move the needle for you. <laughs> but, but the, uh, uh yeah. that wouldn't, Berkshire wouldn't do that ever, you know? So, um, I, I, I think one of the, um, well, I'd switch subjects a little bit, but one of the biggest advantages of small or of individual investors is, and it's one of the hardest ones to practice is just patience and time. Cause like, yeah, I think the way, yeah, the the way that mutual funds are set up and stuff like that, they're in a way they're forced to to buy high and sell low because to get published on like quarterly, monthly type um, newsletters and stuff like that, and people will flock to the high performers. So even if you're a good mutual fund manager or a good you know active investor, now you get all this money whenever all the stocks that you know or up high. So you, what do you do? You, you, you put money into what you know, which is higher than normal. And the people who are having down quarters or down months, everybody's like, Oh, this guy sucks. You know, I need to go somewhere else. And so he's forced to sell uh, low. And I think that that explains a lot of the um, underperformance of the, of wall street. And I feel like that's a big advantage of the individual uh, investor for sure. Yeah. Not answering to people. I've, I've, that's one thing I noted. I mean, we were at Berkshire together. Um, there were a lot of people and, you know, Charlie Munger commented on it too, but everyone wants to be a wealth manager. Everyone wants to have a fund, mm-hmm. especially a lot of the younger, younger people I met. Um, I would lump myself in there, but a lot of people, uh, they want to do, um, they want to run their own fund. And it's like, that's a totally different ball game than managing your own thing. Cause you're dealing with other people's emotions now and dealing with your own emotions is hard enough. And now yeah. you're worried about other people. Yeah. It's, it gets, uh, it's very dicey, especially as it expands out to more than just a few people. And even then, um, uh, if, if you had your, your mother's money in your, in your family office or whatever, uh, you're probably going to behave quite a bit differently than if it was just yours, most likely. Um, 
Uh, maybe not if you're stoic, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's, no, it's no, a very different. You, you would guaranteed behave differently, and that's right. right. If you I think if you manage your own money well, <laughs> even if you start with a small sum, you won't have to worry about finances in 10, 20 years. You know, if you and you don't need anybody else's money to manage. You know, if you get like what some of those people get, you know, 20, 20 to 30 to 40 yeah. percent returns, you know, sure. 26% is 10 X in 10 years. So think about if you start with 120 years, that's $10 million, you know, which it's tough to get 26%, but I think it's easier to do it with your own money than with somebody else's. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, speaking of Berkshire, uh, you have any, what were your kind of key takeaways from, from the meeting or that weekend or everything around the weekend? I, so I did. I know you were, ta- you were taking notes next to me at the meeting. I actually right? took two notes and then I okay. just kind of like enjoyed watching it. Yeah. Um, my, my key takeaway was, you know, all this longevity stuff, you know, what I think if you just stay mentally sharp, like Charlie, maybe you can live to a hundred, you know, that's <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a key. Cause I was just thinking that the whole time. I'm like, I can't believe this guy's 99 years old. And he's like the funniest guy in the, in the, like, I don't know, just quick still on everything. Even if um, he wasn't quick, just talking for six hours in front of 30,000 people is impressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I kind of liked his quote. Warren said something like for, for, for the longest time. And I guess it's still the case. The value of real estate is whatever somebody, the most somebody can borrow for it, you know, like without putting their name on it. Yeah, exactly. And that's, right. if you think about. That's kind of everything. Like, yeah. Yeah. Think, think about like, if you're going to uh, go into debt on a, or like you're going to start this LLC to open an Airbnb or something like that. And I mean, if it goes under, let, let's say you, you put down, some people are, it's a very small amount that you put down, you know, and it's, um, mm-hmm. you don't care if it goes bankrupt or not, you know, it doesn't well, you care, not, but not as much as, but, but you care, but like, it's not yeah, going into your own. Right. right. Yeah. Um, I kind of liked his talk about banking. So he, he talked about, um, cause I'd always wondered that, like, you know, how the fed bailed out, uh, all those deposits on what was the name of that bank? The, or Silicon first, Valley. Yeah, that's it. Silicon Valley Bank. They they bailed everybody out and um even above the two hundred and fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollar limit. And like the the free market person in me was like, well, This is government interference, you know, this is No, it definitely was. Yeah, <laughs> no, and, and well I but <laughs> he kind of he he put some good perspective on it that you know it would have been contagious. And we would have had another disaster. And and then he also had a good solution because my, my take was like, what if that, what if they wouldn't have done that? Now banks are incentivized just to, you know, take high risk and stuff like that because they know that if they fail, at least they're not going to lose people's money. So why not take high risk investments and guarantee a high interest rate on, on your savings account, you know? And um, his answer was that he thinks that the, that banking CEOs and stuff should, be held accountable or, you know, to the, oh. <laughs> have their net worth wiped out and Sounds even go good. to jail. Like, Sounds like good. in my industry, in my <laughs> industry, like if something really bad happens, cause we work with highly hazardous chemicals and stuff like that. I mean, it, we, there's some really bad things that can go wrong. I mean, and it's understood that um, people in certain positions can be held personally accountable and serve time and stuff. Um, 
I feel like that same mentality needs to go uh, in the financial sector. And I don't think anybody in the financial sector would like to hear that, but. Oh yeah. And (laughs) the lobbies uh, are, uh, are doing well. So. (laughs) Yeah. But now we're getting, yeah, that's politics. (laughs) We're getting a little pessimistic here. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it makes sense. Um, yeah, there, there, there's two, there's two well. sides to the coin. I think is really all it, all it is. It's like, yeah, you can let you can let the bank go under, but then there's going to be consequences there. Just as mm-hmm. if you bail it out, there's going to be consequences there. There's always consequences. Nothing's free. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and anything else then? Just just even from the greater weekend, not just the the Q and A session. Hmm. No, I'm hoping I go back. Yeah, for the college world series. Yeah. yeah, both of our. No, well, no, I'm going back. I'm, I mean, I, I'm definitely going back for Berkshire, but I hope I go back in a few weeks for a college world series. Yeah. Oh sure, sure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're an LSU. We'll see. Guy, right? We'll see if they make it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, f- f- I forgot about that. Omaha is a weird place. You got it's basically college world series, Berkshire, and I think they do concerts in the. It's just kind of like an event place, I guess. Um, there's, I don't know, and a lot of financials. So you have like obviously Berkshire, Markel, Mutual of Omaha, and all those folks. But mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a weird it's a weird city. Um, the economic mix is weird, I should say. Con- yeah. Concentrated, right? It makes sense. Concentrate their yeah. bets on a few yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I was I was surprised by Omaha. I really liked it. So I'll go back. I'll but, definitely go it, back next year. There was a really good energy just because of all the people there. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wonder how it is normally, but I, I was there kind of mon- uh, Sunday night, Monday morning. Um, and it was, mm-hmm. it was weird how dead the downtown was on a Monday morning. Compared to like Friday. Yeah, yeah. But it, even just in general, there's bare, it was empty. It was just strange. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I, w- I wonder how much of their economy relies just on the big events. <laughs> Probably a lot, but uh, yeah. 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 I mean, so not that huge of a town. Thirty thousand people come in <laughs> all at once. You no, know, the airport was tiny. I remember yeah. thinking that, and and they were it it's was, wild. It's a small airport. Um. Okay, so let me ask you this because I think it can tie into the to the micro cap, small cap discussion. Sure. How do you feel about options in general? Oh boy, I know the people love hearing about this, right? <laughs> um, I think they're a useful tool. I think they're more useful, at least in the value investing sense, when you already have a pretty sizable portfolio uh, with a good amount of cash, at least on the unlike the selling puts side of things. If you sell puts at your target strike price, I think that's a very useful tool um, if you have a big pile of cash that's undeployed. Um, and then on the other side, selling covered calls, which is where you sell at a strike price above your current price. Um, if you're already fully invested, that could be a nice way to produce a little extra income for maybe a less less volatile holding or even a more volatile holding if you just set the strike price really high and you're like, if it gets to this price, I'm happy to sell. In the meantime, I'll take the premium. Um, I think that yeah. I think that makes sense. Um, so, so, but but there, people. I think people get really um, get themselves in a lot of trouble because it's just another form of leverage when they get into just naked calls, naked puts. Uh, especially deep out of the money uh, with short expirations. Like it, it's getting pretty dicey there. A lot of people lose mm-hmm. a lot there. So, so basically your covered calls, protected puts, yes, everything else be skeptic, be worried about. Uh, well, sure. I guess you could say that. I think with yeah. any financial tool, 
if you don't understand it, just don't use it. There's plenty, so, plenty of ways to do it. Um, and I think a lot of people don't understand options, especially selling options, selling puts, selling mm-hmm. calls. It's kind of confusing to well, figure that out. But yeah, and I'm, I'm going to tie this to the micro caps, but yeah, go ahead. I, I think that buying short term calls and puts mm-hmm. or specifically calls is probably if you told me I had to invest and I had to lose my money as fast as possible. That's what I would try to do. You know, like, sure. so, you know, my, my, uh, I guess in my great genius, I've said, well, then that means that the best thing to do would be to sell short-term calls, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I'd lost, I my biggest, a good point. I'd lost a huge position in Micron to a covered calls getting assigned. And I was like, it like, you know, and now it's like what, 70 or something now, but yeah. Anyway, I, 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 I was so excited about 2%, you know. I've, <laughs> I've never done a covered call. I have yeah. done cash secured puts just to try to like work mm-hmm. through the mechanics. Oh, um, I was I was loving it. I was getting short-term micron stuff. And then all of a sudden it just, I had them tiered, you know. But anyway, mm-hmm. I covered calls. Are, it's very active. It's very I think active. it went up like 30%. I made like 2%, you know. So, but anyway, the, the small caps every small cap I own, you go to the options tab. And this is probably a good thing to be honest for me, especially is that you really, there's no, the options are very illiquid, almost non-existent. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, maybe you can buy leaps and stuff, but I feel like you're better off just owning the stock. My, my thing with options is that you have to, you got to get the value right and the timing right in a way, you know? So it's like, I feel like it's hard enough to get the value portion correct. You know? And one of my biggest p- positions that, that that did really well, they actually got bought out. So I don't own them anymore. But I mean, if there was a if there was a chance to sell covered calls there, I probably would have done it. A, you know, that was like a year a year or so ago. And um, yeah, but anyway, then and then you miss those huge run ups, you know. Cause I think it yeah. like tripled in one day from getting bought out and I was lucky to not have it tied to any options. It was just, but <laughs> so it was nice. Yeah. Our, our man, Luis style left us a super chat here. Making money with options is easy. Just sell a course on options. And you that, make that, that is the way to do it. Luis, Luis knows that brings me. Yeah. Well, that would, that makes me think <laughs> about all the YouTube investing stuff and what it takes to be, I think it's sad how, how you could be a very successful YouTube channel by selling uh, or by, I don't know, hype and hype. selling stuff like hype that. Yeah. Hype stocks, hype investments. Uh, or just making Baba videos. <laughs> every Baba video I made, I'm like, it would, it would up my subscribers like, you know, huge amount. And uh, my wife's you like, gotta, you gotta tickle the Alibaba algorithm. videos. And I was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> you gotta tickle the algorithm every now and then. For yeah. That. Yeah. Here's your Baba offering. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. So, okay. There's this comment from uh, Hodo. Ho- it's almost Hodor. Hodo Prime. Hodo um, Prime. Where do you like to buy in the company life cycle? Okay. So I actually have a note about this already about small caps. So I feel like, you know, if you look at the company life cycle, the, the classic four categories are launch growth maturity and like exit i kind of i think of it as like you know you're first you're in like the idea pre-profit sometimes pre-revenue stage 
then you're in the, you know, you're making money plus rapid growth. And now you're in, and then the last two are like the plateau maturity plus the, um, plus, and then the, the final one I would say is like optimization and value extraction. And, um, okay. No, that makes sense. And, and I feel like those are four different companies that are four different valuation, uh, philosophies that you have to bring to the table. So like you can't use the same things to judge a, you know, mature, let's say dividend paying stable company that you would, you know, an idea pre-profit company. And, yeah. and I think that you can still find value on something that's not profitable yet, but that it's just way more difficult. Um, so I would say they asked where, where do you like to buy? I like to buy in the, in the growth phase and it can be something that's matured and that, and then growing, you know, because I, I feel like that, um, I don't know. I just think buying into something with growth makes your equation so much easier because growth gets raised to an exponent in the equation. Right. So mm. if there's growth, it's just that, that is, is huge. Pay, don't, don't pay a price that's expecting a lot of growth, but right. buy something that, that you think is going to grow. Um, yeah. It's, and then it, the it's exit from you're relying on growth. It yeah. Should yeah. Be the, the gravy that's, ideally. No, I, like I said, I think that you can get a long way by saying single digit PE, double digit growth. You know, I feel like that's, but, and then the, the last one, the, the exit, or like I call it the harvesting, you know, like value extraction where companies like mature, but they're buying back stocks, they're paying dividends. I feel like that's probably the easiest to get fair value on because you can really kind of predict, you know, future yeah. cash flows and stuff like that. But it's also, um, theoretically less unknowns. It, it's it's usually not going to be at huge discounts, you know. Right. I feel like you got a chance recently with somebody like Google, when, and I had yeah, whenever they were like in the eighties. Um, but yeah, yeah, right. No, that makes sense, and uh, that that's a uh, maybe that's another value trap. We're talking about those like when you see a lot of growth in recent earnings, and you just project that growth rate out indefinitely when when it's real high and and they've never really proven that they've done that before. And even if they have, depending on how big the company is, how big the market they're addressing is, uh, that can be an easy one to fall into, especially with these smaller businesses where it might be a very niche, specialized sort of company where the, the total addressable market is not a trillion dollars. It might be a few billion. Um, yeah. And so you got to keep that in mind too. Like they could, uh, they'd have to diversify out into a different product and then who knows what the growth rate is there. So then you're, bringing in all these variables to worry about. Um, so yeah, it makes sense. And, um, oh, go ahead. What I was just going to say any final thoughts on microcaps kind of before we wrap up, um, take a look quickly through the comments. I think we hit a few, I think we had all the uh, questions. That, that oh were yes. I had one more thing that, yeah. uh, that we haven't talked about. How about it? You're, chance of competition invasion is much higher in small caps. So you got to, think that I'm, like it's just much more easier to compete to start up you know it, or somebody there there's usually higher competition i, I would think i think and that's so that industry that. dependent is it really size dependent i mean if you if you have something making 30 percent return on assets you know who, it's going to attract big players it's going to attack it's somebody it's going to attract yeah. somebody say hey bank look i can make 30 percent of my money yeah, and I guess they right. get 
So um, I think in general, return on assets tends to all converge on the. So that's that's it, though. That was just something that else makes sense. that I wanted to say. I think we covered well, most of it. There's a lot of things to worry about, right? <laughs> that's why investing is it, it's so easy, but it's so hard um, mm-hmm. because there's a lot there's a lot of moving parts, and of course, you always have the emotional factors in it. And when you when you might be in a very volatile holding, like a like a micro cap. It just kind of expands all that <laughs> with uh, all, all the different factors. Um, anyways, uh, well, I appreciate you coming on, Patrick. As f- finally, at long last, had, had you on, on Punch Card. We'll have to have you back again sometime, uh, if you're willing, of course. If this wasn't too terrible. No, no, yeah. Some of the more, we'll get some more characters on for you next time. Would have been nice to have our man Frank here talk, to join the microcap talk. I know he's very big into that as well. Yeah, um, I talked but, to him about that boating company. I have a video on them too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which one is that? One new O N E W. Did we yeah. talk about that on the show at some point? No, I don't think. I think so. He had a big Twitter thing on it, and oh, and it was a tweet. I'm thinking. I forget if we talked about it on the show, but yeah. I remember seeing him, or I remember him talking mm-hmm. about it. But yeah, yeah. anyways, um, for, for those of you who want to check out more of Patrick's stuff. He's got the part-time investing YouTube channel. So part-time investing is the name of the channel. Uh, so go check that out, please. He's got a lot of good stuff. Um, if you liked anything about what you heard here, uh, and like I said, we'll try to have you back at some point in the near future. Um, so thank you, Patrick. And thank you everyone for stopping by at this new time. If you're in live, uh, we'll be switching around the time a little bit here and there, probably have some more around this time in the near future. And have some more at our kind of regular time again in the future as well. So with that said, uh, like comment, subscribe, all that great stuff. And until next time. Thanks for tuning in to punch card investing. The contents of this show should not be used as investment advice or as a recommendation to invest in a particular security. Please consult with a licensed investment advisor if you need investment advice. All investments carry risk and the potential for monetary loss. Thank you, and see you next week.